I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit UH1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to a location edition, we're out on location of the Football History Podcast. My name is Nick Hart and you join me in some back streets, an estate near to Prince Regent DLR station in East London, for those that know the area, launch a car as I walk past, and you join me on some nondescript streets really in the back doubles of Prince Regent Custom House East London that was once the site of one of the country's certainly England's biggest sports stadium the once majestic now long gone and disappeared West Ham Stadium home of greyhound racing much beloved of my grandfather speedway racing uh, events of all kinds, really, including a long-forgotten football club, Thames AFC. And that is the theme of today's edition of the Football History Podcast, dear listeners, Forgotten Football Clubs. So I'm actually going to be walking what was once, I think, but roughly where the centre circle would have been, Atkinson Road, Lawson Close. Anyway, we're going to break away now for an interview I did recently with an author who's written a book on the whole subject of forgotten football clubs. The subject fascinates me. Does it fascinate you? I hope it does, because we've got a whole podcast about it. Uh, we're going to be talking now to Phil O'Rourke, author of a great book, 50 Forgotten Football Clubs. Let's break away and talk to Phil. And we'll be back in due course to walk the streets of Custom House. Hello, welcome to the Football History Podcast with me, Nick Hart. Joining me on today's show is a man who I think is as obsessed with forgotten um, remnants of the past as I am. 
It's uh, author of a wonderful new book called Forgotten Football Clubs, and it is Philip O'Rourke. Welcome to the show, Phil. What's up, Nick? Glad to be on. Yeah, um, this is a wonderful little book. It's on pre-sale at the moment, listeners. So the publishing is actually in, in February, but uh, you can order it at the moment through pitchpublishing.co.uk. 50 forgotten football clubs around the world, Phil. You've got quite a range of, of, of um, material included in this book. What, what set you on the path to compiling this list of forgotten football clubs? It's quite a subject. Yeah, um, 50, 50 uh, clubs, uh, quite a lot. Um, originally, I had uh, went to pitch publishing where uh, I pitched my idea um, of just doing yeah. Irish clubs, uh, which is how I kind of started Forgotten Clubs in the first place on my blog. Yeah. Um, there's 42 Irish clubs, uh, forgotten Irish clubs, or clubs that have been dissolved in total. Uh, that number has actually grown since I started the blog, and uh, by one, um, and I I went to them with this idea, but unfortunately they they didn't like it, or not that they didn't like it, uh, they just felt that it wouldn't uh, attract an audience or an audience that you know yeah. they limited appeal, they, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose they're an English publishing company, Irish football clubs, maybe. Uh, you know, the Irish football clubs don't even appeal to Irish uh, fans. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, they, you know, they are looking to make money as well. Um, so, I, 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 yeah, I, I, I kind of sat back and went, OK, um, uh, not to be defeated because it was always my dream to write a book. And I went back at them and said, what if I do 50 clubs around the world? <laughs> um, I was already writing a few, few uh Blog pieces on 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 my blog, forgotten clubs of uh, you know foreign pieces if you like, uh, as as yeah. called them foreign edition pieces. Um, so I went back at them with that, and they said, "Oh yeah, that that sounds perfect. That's something that we're definitely interested in." So, um, I said, "Grand, look, I I get work. You have to put in a proposal. I gave them a proposal, all, all that kind of stuff." Yeah. Uh, originally. I said, uh, look, it'll be 75,000 words. Um, you know, I'll get it done by uh, July 2022. I didn't realise the magnitude of, of, yeah, yeah, of the whole, of the, of the whole uh, project. Um, well, getting interviews. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I bit off more than I could chew, basically. It, it, got, it got to around May and I, I, I kind of emailed um, Pitch Publishing and was like, look, I'm not going to get this done by July. Uh, most was done, um, but I'm not going to get it done by July. And he said, oh, look, that's no problem. You can extend it. So they extended it, re- relieved a lot of pressure. Um, but uh, eventually I got it done. Got it finished in September there. It was quite, have a little, quite an achievement. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it was. Uh, I, I was in college at the time, um, yeah. working nights. So, so there was an awful lot going on, but... Uh, I got it done eventually. Um, How did you select the clubs, Phil? What, what what were your criteria? I mean, obviously you've mentioned the Irish clubs already, which you probably know of more, uh, being more familiar. Um, but you've got you've got a range on the blog. I mean, South America, Europe, um, Britain, British Isles, so to speak, Scotland, England, Wales, I guess. So mm. you know, it's it's. How did you select them? What was your, what was your criteria for choosing these clubs that are no longer with us? So they're going to have existence for various reasons. Yeah, um, funny enough, uh, just uh, just in my uh, house here, in my room, um, I have a huge, it's, it's across uh, 
my wall there. Um, and mm. I just sim- simply just kind of went across the clubs, each each country, uh, if if you know what I mean. Um, I actually have a database, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, an Excel sheet, uh, where I'm going through. No, I haven't finished it because it's over 5,000 football clubs uh, where I go through each country and add and, and basically put every forgotten club or the defunct club uh, from that country. So, um, I, I, I mean, I've gone through thousands. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. You uh, must have just, done. You must have done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just selected my favourite stories or, or stories that I felt um, were, were the most interesting. Um, I mean, you've sent me some a selection of some of the English clubs that, that um, might be of interest to listeners. I mean, because they, they come in various forms, really, Phil, don't they? I mean, some clubs go out of existence and then are reformed as, as Phoenix clubs, as the expression has it. Some disappear entirely, and or some are just lost mm. to lost to history. I mean, you sent three a choice of two that I think came back as as um, Phoenix clubs. That's Aldershot and then uh, Chester FC for different stories, but both reformed as um, as, as Phoenix clubs afterwards. Similar to to uh, Wimbledon, actually. You know what happened with uh, Wimbledon mm. FC then coming back as AFC Wimbledon, and also a really great one on them. Um, uh, one of the forerunners of women's football, Dick Dick Carr's ladies. That's a fascinating story, Phil. The Dick Carr's ladies piece. I, re- I, I was I was really held by that by that chapter. It's it's a fascinating story, mate. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was look. It, it was kind of a, a piece that I wanted to include. Uh, women's football, of course, uh, is part of the footballing world. Um, yeah. and and I just felt I I felt that I had to have a chapter, um, that you know was dedicated to women's football um if you know what i mean um and I, well in my blog uh, i always get people uh, recommending clubs and stuff like that uh, to write about and dick cares ladies yeah. was always one that popped up and it was just one that i went okay well let, let's have a little look at it and yeah it's a fa- fascinating story really pioneers of women's football um any any women that are in football um, probably know of the story. If they don't, they they should get to know the story because basically Dick Cares ladies are the reason why women can play football. Um, and and it's yeah. it's, it's it's a story that is, is quite recent to be to well when I say recent, uh, like the the ban on women's football are not being allowed to play in like FA grounds. I think it was only lifted in nineteen seventy. Um, so you well, know, it's, it's a social not... social history, to, to Phil. Yeah. I mean, there's 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 this football. I mean, football doesn't exist in its own. I think this is the fascinating thing that comes out of your book. It's a general point, but it's a fascinating part of of your, what you've done here because football doesn't just exist as a sport. It's it's part of the wider fabric of society, history, whatever whatever mm. you want to where you want to put it, really. And the Dick Carr's ladies team, which began as a a group of ladies that working in the munitions factory during the First World War in England. Um, they, I, I couldn't believe how popular they were. Phil. They were attracting crowds at the end of the First yeah. World War just afterwards. 53,000, I think I saw at Goodison Park for, for the Dick Cars team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you'd be surprised at so many attendance and stuff like that. Uh, that that yeah. some of these football clubs got back back in the day, like even going back to Irish clubs at the moment, League of Ireland. Um, would would attract you know fairly low crowds. I mean, the the highest crowd mm. I say is probably Shamrock Rovers, uh, seven thousand say they got at the, at the home games. Uh, but years ago, 
in the 50s, 60s, there, there used to be, you know, 20,000, 30,000 people at, at League of Ireland games. Um, you know, it's it's quite incredible. Uh, some of the stats and some some of the things that I did find out uh, throughout my journey throughout the world, basically, um, was fascinating, and that that's kind of what was a real motivation to to keep going as well. It's a fascinating book. I mean, my, I, I was looking through your blog as well, which is at Forgotten on Twitter at Forgotten Clubs, and there's a link to to Phil's blog on there. I mean, another story that caught my eye fascinated me was the talking about um you know big clubs that are no longer with us was uh the story of belfast celtic that um mm. I, I found on your blog um i, I didn't really appreciate for what a big side belfast celtic were i mean this uh, again bound up in irish history and politics and stuff i don't really, really want to touch on that too deeply but you can't help but yeah. touch on it to some extent when you read the story of the club and how it went from being a major name, um, you know, obviously teamed with Glasgow Celtic in Scotland, um, and then disappearing for um, really quite tragic reasons. Yeah, I mean, look, you're, you're dead right. There's, uh, and Belfast Celtic aren't the only clubs that are intertwined with political, religious uh, kind of uh, ties, if you know, even in the book, uh, there's a few clubs mm. that there's, there's big religious ties um, there's there's racial things, um, you know there's there's all these kind of stories behind all these clubs, um. Now I don't I don't really get into you know in depth of it. I I just try yeah, to tell the story yeah. of the club and 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 stuff like that. But uh, you you can obviously read into it yourself. I mean, it's probably another book that you should be reading uh, if you do want to get into all that. But, uh, well, it's a taster, though. It, give, yeah. it gives you a taste that maybe you do want to read. I mean, I, I found it a fascinating story. I wasn't really that aware of the story of Belfast Celtic, and that gives me a taste of what, you know, if I want to find out more, then it's, it's a great... I'd say it's a great book for that point of view, really, that you've done here, Phil, because it gives you a little... little um, dip into the histories of and there's various stories of 50 odd clubs around the world and each one quite fascinating they give you all the little um dip you know if you want to read more there's it's your intro so to speak isn't it yeah i mean so, some of the clubs have, have longer stories than others like i mean there's probably a few clubs there that probably only are one or two pages to be honest um but yeah. you could probably deep dive into it if you, if you wanted to like just the club off the top of my head that I'm thinking of that maybe people might be f- fairly interested in. There's a club from South Africa, for example, um, and they, they were called the Dangerous Darkies. Now, you, you can read into that what, what, what you want, um, but uh, there was a huge kind of uh, was racial real name. story was uh, name. with them yeah. and, and wow. what they had to overcome and stuff like that. Uh, now, I don't, don't delve into that, but I, I do talk about how, you know, South Africa... Uh, and and football and and stuff like that uh, did overcome the divide and apartheid and, and stuff like that. And um, but yeah, as you said, it's it's more of just a taster and kind of dipping your toe into it. I don't you know rant about apartheid and stuff like that. But um, it, even even when I was doing my research and stuff, I found it fascinating uh, about how football and and again only re- you know when I say recent, it was only the sixties seventies. Really, that, that that this stuff was happening, and to me, that's unbelievable. It's very recent, very recent. Um, and it seems to be three main ways that a football club dies, Phil. I mean, I don't know if you'd agree with this. I mm. mean, I'm just going back to the Belfast Celtic for a moment, I'd call that a, 
it died for political reasons or uh, social yeah. problems. Let's put it that way. You've got that way that a football club can can go. You can lose a club like Third Lanark, for example, is another one in Scotland. Uh, another fascinating story. Another big mm. club in its time disappears for financial reasons. That seems to be the most common common way now. Or uh, authority squashes it, which I suppose you'd say with the likes of Dick Carr's ladies and maybe one or two other clubs. But they seem to be the three main causes of death, so to speak, for, for football clubs uh, in, in the main. So, um, you know, it's I suppose it's always difficult. I mean, the, the clubs have their social role in, in, in every society, Phil, but they're also businesses, aren't they? And, you know, <laughs> if the money runs out for whatever reason... They don't carry on. It's very sad, but it's a it's a truth, isn't it? Yes, definitely. Um, and you're spot on. There, there are the three big reasons uh, why um, uh, football clubs basically cease to exist. Um, there's there's one or two in, in the book, um, off the top of my head that are just basically failed projects. Um, there's there's a club yeah. from um, I think it's Norway. Uh, called uh, FC. No, I can't really pronounce it properly. So, uh, sure. Star Star Drum Hands or something like that. Uh, basically, okay. are a football club that uh, were, were like a project, um, but they had no fans, uh, and they were they were actually called uh, the club with no soul. Um, right. and and right. and it just didn't work. It's it, these projects just didn't work for whatever reason. Uh, I suppose you can't have a football club without fans, so that's the reason why that didn't work. But um. There's 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 fascinating story. Even the the club, the Chinese club I covered, um, which many people might know because they they only went out of business there in twenty twenty one. FC, uh, Jisung, um, they basically yeah. were around for about fifty odd years. Uh, they won the league in twenty twenty one, the Chinese Super League, and that was that. <laughs> uh, they 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 yeah. they just ceased to exist. Um, and and I was kind of like, well, hang on, what? They they they. We're around for fifty odd years, uh, you know. They win the first football league, and then, you know, they're gone. Um, now there was financial reasons as well behind it. They, they were kind of owned by a hotel company and stuff like that. Um, but right. it, it was just bizarre. Like uh, some some of them, you're like, well, why are they gone? Why are these football clubs <laughs> gone? Sometimes there actually is no reason. Um, now obviously in my research, I try to find the reason why they're gone and stuff like that. But um, sometimes, just, just, you know, they just disappear. I suppose in societies around the world, I mean, I'm thinking, and I don't know if it's included in your book, but I'm thinking off the top of my head, I remember in the 70s and 80s, the big East German side was a team called Dynamo Berlin, um, and they had favour. They were, I don't know about this Chinese side that you're mentioning here, Phil, but they sometimes if you find favour with the authorities that are, you know, running the, the, the uh, society that you're in, you have good times, and if you if you fall out of favour, then you can um, you can find yourself gone or uh, tumbling down the leagues. I think Dynamo Berlin are now like a fourth division side in, in German football, and I know some of the Eastern Bloc sides in their time that were linked with government, army, you know, the major elements of power uh, tumble either tumble out of existence or they 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 uh, they, they, they find themselves playing almost non-league football. Um, it, it is fascinating. These stories do give you such a picture of how football is. is it, I mean, it's a they, the cliche to call it the world game, Phil, but it is. It, it is this mm. unifying bond, isn't it? You, you touch on that in your opening um, 
chapter that you sent me, the the, the the role that football plays in all of our lives, where would we we'd be without it? Yeah, 100%. Um, even the interviews that, that um, you know, I've done, I think overall, I think there's about 25 interviews. Obviously, I couldn't get an interview for each club because uh, some clubs... No. And struggle with some, yeah. You'd be hard pressed to, to find a, an interview or a fan of those clubs. For example, of a club called British Mexico, um, that disappeared quite early. Um, but yeah, even interviewing those people, they, they, you know, the the passion that they have for for the football clubs, um, for those football clubs, or even the the country that they they you know they follow football clubs in. Um, for example, even you know Estonia, Georgia, you know these countries that you know aren't huge in in regards to football and world, but the passion that that is shown for these leagues and these clubs, um, hopefully I've captured that in the interviews, uh, with with these people, um, and it's it's just fascinating, you know, um, you know football doesn't just belong to the big, the big five or big six countries you know Absolutely. in Spain France yeah. it, it belongs to it does belong to the world um, and, and these smaller nations um, you know deserve a platform and maybe an even bigger platform than, than they get no I think it's a terrific project and uh, congratulations on completing it it sounds like a, an incredible body of work and an incredible chunk of your life that you've devoted to the research and then the interviews I mean 20 odd interviews is quite an achievement Phil um, are you thinking of doing anything else like it, mate? Have you, have, has it whetted your appetite now for the uh, the old author game? Are you are you going to do another one, or is, 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 have you had enough of it for the moment? Um, no, no. Uh, I mean, I, I've already, to be honest, obviously I have to see how this how this book does, um, because I can't yeah. go writing one and saying to the pitch publishing, "Oh, here, here's another idea." <laughs> if this one doesn't sell, you know. Um, so hopefully this one sells. Hopefully this one does does well. Um, and yeah, no, I'd 100% do another, another Forgotten Clubs, 50 clubs uh, around the world because, as I said, there's thousands out there. Um, I, To be honest, just looking at my map here in, in my room now, this this one is 50 clubs around the world, uh, but it's heavily dominated by European clubs. Um, yeah. Look, that, that's just the way it is. Uh, now, when I say heavily dominated by European clubs, I do spread it all over Europe, you know, Belfort, Belfast, Belarus, uh, Estonia, uh, <laughs> Spain, France, yeah. Italy, um, Hungary, and the Scandinavian, Iceland. Uh, I actually, there's only one club that I found that uh, actually is a forgotten club, so to speak, from Iceland. So I cover them. Um, away from Europe, then I only do two from uh, Africa. But I'd love to. I'd love to explore, say, Africa a little bit more. Uh, maybe even do a you know an African version of Forgotten Clubs like I have on my blog. Right. Um, the same yeah. with Asia. Uh, I've only done two. Well, I mean, I've two in Australia, uh, one in China, one in Japan, um, five in South America. So two Brazilian, one Paraguayan, one Argentinian, one from Bolivia. Um, of Mexico, two USA, uh, Canada. You know so. I'd love to do another 50 uh, Forgotten Clubs uh, around the world, but I'd also like to, I, I've always done this, when, when I started Forgotten Clubs, uh, I've always had the idea to do a kind of 
uh, sectional kind of ones. So like you know, forgotten clubs Ireland, forgotten clubs Italy, forgotten clubs yeah, Germany, yeah. forgotten clubs yeah. England. Yeah. Um, yeah. now the England one might might have to be a few books because I think there's like two hundred and ninety six known forgotten clubs uh, in England. Um, so, but that that would be you know the dream to do. Now, obviously, a lot of work would have to be put into all of that, but uh, that that would be the dream. And I suppose let's see how this one gets on. Um, I I do want mm-hmm. to add as well. Um, that any any money I'm not doing it for financial reasons either. But any money that I make from right. this okay. is actually going to charity. Um, it's going to a charity here in Ireland called Let's Fund It. Uh, which basically uh, all proceeds go straight to uh, organize, sports organizations, um, you know, old people's homes to buy new books or, or games and stuff. Good, good causes. Um, yeah. yeah, good causes, basically. And it goes straight to it. There's there's no, you know, CEOs or anything like that. Um, it's just the money goes straight to these uh, projects. And uh, it, it's a charity that... You know, I, I followed, uh, I keep a close eye on, and they're they're very very transparent, um, in what they do, and that and that's the reason why, uh, basically they're they're they're, they're why I'm I'm helping them out because the lads, uh, do incredible work, uh, got, you know it's underrated a lot of the work they do, and um yeah so that that that's another reason why I really hope this book does well because if the book does well, then uh, you know it it helps out a lot of people. The charities do well. That's fantastic, Phil. I take my hat off to you, mate. I didn't know that was the um, that was under underpinning the whole project. That's that's brilliant, and I take my hat off to it. I approve of that wholeheartedly. Um, name of the book, listeners, is Forgotten Football Clubs. The author is Philip O'Rourke. You can get it on PitchPublishing.co.uk. It's in um, pre-order at the moment. I think you're printing on sixth of Feb, uh, twenty twenty-three. Uh, and it uncovers the stories of the clubs that vanished, revealing their histories, successes, and ultimate failures. It's a fascinating subject. Phil, that's an immense amount of work you've done there, mate. Really appreciate you coming on. I wish you your, your book and any future projects all the success, mate. Keep in touch. I'd love to talk to you again. Cheers, Nick. Glad to be on. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. 
From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I hope you enjoyed that little piece with Phil. Thank you to Phil for coming on the show. As I say, we are looking at the former site of West Ham Stadium. If you look on the Wikipedia page on Thames AFC and, and or West Ham Stadium for that matter, there's quite extensive notes on there about the, the venue. A vast arena in its day. No trace whatsoever is left of this wonderful um, site. 120,000 was its capacity in its heyday. And as I've said already, it was um, primarily a venue that staged greyhound racing fundamentally and speedway racing is well known for its famous speedway team the West Ham Hammers and pleasingly for a place with no trace left of it a number of the roads around here are named after former speedway champions we passed Atkinson Road that was named after Arthur Atkinson a world speedway champion in his day Lawson Close another speedway rider with the West Ham Hammers all of the roads around here were named in honour of what for once a sport that really gripped the imagination. But we're here to talk about football, dear listeners, namely Thames AFC. And they are a club now forgotten, hence the theme of today's show, that briefly, two, very briefly, for two seasons in the 1930s, early 1930s, played in the old third division south. They were rather like um, Chelsea... Liverpool and others over time they're a club invented slightly to to fill the capacity of the of the stadium the intention was that they would become a success in the stadium and give people a reason to visit on a Saturday afternoon to maintain the income flow obviously greyhound racing and in its time speedway racing would bring big crowds but the owners of the stadium wanted their Saturday afternoons and occasional midweek fixtures to be full up as well. And they created their own football club by the name of Thames, Thames Association FC. They played for two seasons, 1930-31, 1931-32. With no great success, it's got to be said, the club never really caught the public imagination. Crowds were low. There's a historically low fixture uh, versus Luton Town in 1931, where just 469 people turned out. That was a midweek match for Thames Association. And crowds never really took off for the side. And they folded it after just two years in the Football League. And that was the end of Thames AFC. But the theme of our show is Forgotten Football Clubs. And I don't know why, but I've always been fascinated by... The sites of former stadiums and tales of clubs that no longer exist. As I've said already, it's, the, the stadium itself um, declined in time. Obviously, Greyhound Racing and certainly Speedway faded away from the popular imagination in their times. They were 
hugely popular sports, 1930s and 40s and 50s being their, their heyday, but gradually as the 60s and 70s wore on with the arrival of television, the uh, numbers dwindled. A report from the Essex Mail and Chronicle dated the 13th of June 1930. Thames AFC elected to the, the FA League, as they put it, it meant the third division football league. Division South. They'd spent two seasons in the Southern League. Clearly, the uh, the chairman, one that Louis Dane, we will come back to Louis Dane, was a man of uh, some influence. As to get elected to the Football League back then was not an easy task. The the Football League in those far off times was pretty much a closed shop to outsiders, and if you finished in the the bottom positions of the third divisions, North and South. You had a fair expectation that you'd be promoted, you know, re-elected back each season. So there was no kind of drop out of the league as you have nowadays into the National League. That really began in the uh, late 70s and early 80s, really. Back then, though, you uh, had the expectation that you'd live on to fight another day. So to get elected, you must have um, used his influence. Shall we just leave it there? Money and power. Just put those in the same sentence. Let's have a little wander around here. We're going to look at um, walking the streets of this estate. It's a fairly nondescript estate. The whole stadium was demolished in the 70s. And Newham Council built an estate on the site full of alleyways. I'm sure it's a criminal's paradise in its time. The known alternative is Thames Association. My old grandfather always referred to them as Thames Association, but uh, Thames AFC is how they're listed in this uh, report, their first fixture. This has been a Southern League fixture dated August 24th, 1928. Reported on by no lesser figure than Charles Buchan in the Daily News. Uh, the Thames Association Football Club makes its debut in the football world under a suspicious, auspicious, <laughs> Maybe suspicious, auspicious circumstances. The team has the advantage of playing at the spacious West Ham Stadium, uh, an enclosure admirably suited for the game. With the exception of Wembley, he says, I know of no more fitting enclosure in the whole of football. The problem, though, would be for Thames Association, as Charles here goes on. Uh, the ground was situated approximately a mile from Bolin, uh, the Bolin ground, West Ham United's home stadium. You also had, obviously, Leighton Orient, not terribly far from this location, and to the south, Charlton, and my own dear Millwall. So they were trying to plant a seed on what proved to be stony ground, effectively. Um, they're under the management of one Mr D Buchanan, who used to be manager of Leighton Orient, he says here. Uh, they've listed a, a series of players here. They were moderately successful in the Southern League, and then they got promoted, they were elected, to the Football League in 1930. Gillingham were re-elected with 33 votes. Thames came second with 20 votes and they were elected. Aldershot 19, Merthyr Town 14, Clenechley 4 and the Argonauts, there's a forgotten football club, the Argonauts, no, no, zero, no votes. Wonderful home colours by the way. They played in red and blue quartered shirts, white shorts, which is quite a nice design. Um, as Wikipedia puts it quite correctly, really, the, the spell in the Football League for Thames was short and unhappy. The club struggled to attract spectators. It established a supporter. It was some nice 
um, memorabilia online. There's a, a supporters club badge with red and blue quarters, Thames AFC supporters club, and one or two programmes, Thames AFC programmes. Um, I don't know how rare they are. Certainly you can find them on, on um, eBay and the like. 20th in the third tier in their first season, 1930-31, and then bottom, rock bottom, 1931-32. Their final game, sadly, against Brentford. And their final home game against QPR. I couldn't even find a press report for those two games. Such was the, the level of um, disinterest in Thames AFC. Um, a sad end to what was a briefly a flirtation with glory. The chairman, Louis Dane, we've mentioned him already. He's, he's repeatedly mentioned, I think he saw himself as something of a personality. Uh, Sir Louis William Dane, 1856-1946. At one time, Mr Dane, Sir, Sir Louis Dane, was uh, the governor of the Punjab in India at one point. Um, and he was, you know, come back to England, obviously looking to get into business and became chairman of the West Ham Stadium. There is a wonderful piece of YouTube uh, footage of uh, the final meeting at West Ham Stadium. Check it out, it's worth a look. Uh, Arthur, uh, Wilkinson Road, I'm just standing on the corner of Wilkinson Road. Arthur Bluey Wilkinson, 1911 to 1940, World Speedway Chairman of 1938, who rode for the West Ham Hammers at this stadium. Um, so Louis Dane was uh, one of the victims, not a witness, more than a witness, a victim of a shooting at the Caxton Hall in 1940 by an Indian nationalist. The name revered in India, little known in this country, Udam Singh. Um, he was a witness to the Amritsar massacre of uh, 1919 and set upon taking a vengeance and would assassinate the Lieutenant Governor of the Punjab at that time. Michael O'Dwyer, who uh, was killed on a, a meeting at the Caxton Hall in 1940. Udham Singh would be uh, hung, I believe, for his role in the assassination. Uh, O'Dwyer was killed instantly. Dane's arm, chairman of the West Ham Stadium, was it broken by bullets? Well, there we are. He passed away in the end in 1946, Louis Dane. I've come away from the council estate vibe. <laughs> The, um, site of the old stadium. Not the worst council estate I've ever been on, listeners, but certainly uh, it feels a bit scruffy around there. It's, a, it's kind of sad. I, I was just going to say I've come away to the relative peace and quiet of the docks. There's a lot of drilling and work going on the site of a hotel down there by the Royal Docks. Um, forgotten football clubs is the theme of today's show, and I suppose you could say Thames AFC is a classic example of how you can't just invent a football club. But then again, um, isn't every football club everywhere invented at some stage? Aren't they all the product of mergers and uh, people coming together to say, let's create a football club in one shape or form or another? Uh, Thames AFC obviously was uh, created to fill the need by owners of a stadium. Uh, demand was there they felt would be there locally there's a lot of workers down here at these very docks where I'm walking back now so aren't they all invented Liverpool, Chelsea and the lot they all are in the end aren't they certainly it's interesting how some take so to speak and others didn't Thames never took never took hold I mean despite the 
dockers that would have lived locally to serve the uh, clear desire for greyhounds, gambling, <laughs> working class pursuits of old. M my grandfather included, loved his dogs and would have been a regular visitor of West Ham Stadium in its heyday. As I've said already on this show, there is literally nothing left of that huge 120,000 capacity stadium. I think only off the top of my head, done no research on this, but only Hamden Park tops it in its heyday. There wasn't 149,000 at Hamden for a Scotland-England game in the 1930s or 40s, I can't remember which. But a 120,000 capacity for West Ham Stadium is as big, if not bigger, than anything that occurs to my head as I'm walking along in the cold wind. And I don't know about you, I, 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 I suppose I find the sight of former sports stadiums rather like some haunt and frequent the ruins of antiquity. There's something meaningful about the sights of former places that meant something to so many people. Now, OK, West Ham Stadium was more of a speedway dog track than it ever was a football ground. But you know what I mean, this was... This was something vast, a palace of pleasure for so many, and now it's all gone, replaced with a few street names, and good to see a few little biographies of various speedway riders we've mentioned already. There are others, didn't get to them all. There we go. In the same vein now, I'm walking along the site of the former... Yeah, West India docks, Royal docks rather, Royal, Royal docks down here isn't it, once upon a time. Now, the vast spaces of pavement, a rowing club, and there's some Newham Council offices over there in the distance. Um, something sad about it, I, am, I, am I being over romanticised? I don't know, maybe that's a subject for a different podcast, a different theme different thoughts I don't know maybe I'll do something else to think about those issues but there we are as we've said Thames folded in 1932 and financial amidst financial losses and that was that was that um, they made no great impact in the football world they finished 20th and 20 22nd as we've said and that's the story of a particular football club that for reasons I can't put my finger on has always haunted my imagination I'm glad that I did this little piece just to mark its existence for those few years, I hope you've enjoyed it I'm walking back beside the calm waters of the Royal Docks, cold wind January morning to the next edition I might do another uh, location edition if people enjoyed it, I don't know do tell me if you do or you don't to the next edition however it's me signing off, Nick Hart, for the Football History Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.